Welcome to Women Leading the Way Radio Show, where each time you'll hear from successful women CEOs, executives, and professionals, where we'll discover how they do what they do to be successful in business. We'll be interviewing women who have overcome big challenges, women who have incredible stories of lessons learned in dealing with adversity. We'll even interview women who have started and grown successful organizations and women who are C-level executives with unique talents and positions. Our goal is to bring successful businesswomen together to share how they're leading the way in business today. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Women Lead Radio, brought to you by Connected Women of Influence. I'm Diane Callahan, your host for The Lighthearted Life. Our topic today is fascinating. It's happiness, which is something very important to me, but happiness as it relates to our workplaces and companies and outcomes. And so I'm really excited to dig in. Our leading lady for the show today is Sarah Raitkin, and she has the best title in all the world. It's Chief Happiness Officer, and her company and website is called Happiness is Courage. And you're going to love everything that we're going to talk about. Um, so let's get started. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> it's a great, it's, this is a great way to start the week, to start the day to, on a Monday morning, showing up strong. I love it. Um, Absolutely. First of all, first of all I just got to get, I got to talk about this. What the heck is a chief happiness officer? That's a common question, Diane, and it's interesting because people think it's like a party planner or an event coordinator, but the truth is there's a lot of science behind what happiness is and how it affects us specifically when it comes to our organizations and our businesses. So a chief happiness officer, and I'm literally certified as a chief happiness officer, is somebody who dives into that data and that science and understands the aspects of culture and interpersonal relationships and how we can create environments that allow people to bring their whole selves, including their passions, to the workplace and really have the most productive, enjoyable paths forward that are humanly possible. I love that. And let me ask you, we're just going to go everywhere in this conversation, by the way, but, <laughs> like, how do you get certified? What's that all about? How do you get certified as a chief happiness officer? Yeah, sure. There are actually a couple of different organizations who offer chief happiness certification, chief happiness officer certification. I went through, you're going to love this, I went through WooHoo Incorporated, and they're based out of Copenhagen. And if you know anything about happiness, you know that our Scandinavian friends have it figured out. And so the people that I trained with are based out of, out of Europe. There's also, though, there's an organization in India where well, uh, well-being and happiness are also very well-researched and understood. And then there's another organization out of Florida. But they're really all talking about the exact same data and the same research that shows us that happiness can be taught and can be incorporated as a workplace uh, value and that there's a business case for it. And that's what I love. And that's what we're going to dig into in a couple minutes. But um, I, I love what you said about our friends to the north, the frozen chosen, right? Our Scandinavian mm-hmm. friends really have dialed this in pretty well. And um, I have worked with an organization called Action for Happiness. Are you um, familiar yes. with them? I, I love, love Action them. for Happiness out of the UK. Yeah, they're amazing humans. Yeah, amazing. They are, they've done some amazing research. And I've uh, facilitated their, um, oh, I can't think of the name of the course, but it's like a, 10-week course or 8-week course 
Um, I facilitated a group a couple of years ago, and it was just amazing the data that they had around the, around which countries are the happiest. And you would think that, you know, in in the Scandinavian countries where they have sometimes they have long days, you know, some parts of the year they have long days, some parts of the year they have a lot of dark days. And, you know, we know all the research on seasonal affective disorder, and yet. Mm-hmm. Even the countries that have long, long, dark periods are statistically happier. And, like, look at India. India doing all this amazing research, and yet so many people who live in India, you know, which is a very highly populated country, are living at the lowest levels of, of financial su- success, I guess, mm-hmm. or, or financial agency. Um, and so we tend to think we've been trained so hard um, here, you know, in the Western world, right, that, I mean, advertisers have really done their job. And we've been trained that it's, the happiness depends upon the stuff you get. Like, you know, we, but right. we're, we're trained to, to want the wrong stuff. We're the wrong wanting. And, um, and it, it's from the minute we, we step foot on the planet. So yeah. how can we, how can we, like, how can we want better or how can we, you know, think better? Do you know what I'm asking you here? How, how do we think yeah, yeah, that absolutely. a new car is the way? Well, and I think it's important to recognize that there's nothing wrong with wanting a new car and there's nothing wrong with wanting a nice house and there's nothing wrong with wanting uh, your 147th handbag. I mean, there's really, that's, that's not wrong per se. The challenge becomes when we, two, there are two things here. One is when we start to think of things as substitutes for joy in our lives. And frankly, the other problem is when we're chasing quote-unquote happiness, because we do have this warped cultural perspective of what happiness is, it's like chasing the holy grail. You're never going to catch it because it's baked into the process. You're always going to need a bigger car, a bigger house, another purse or pair of shoes. And so, you know, the fact that we have a concept called retail therapy tells me that we have deeply embedded that concept into sort of our psychological DNA. And yet the research tells us time and time and time again that as long as your basic needs are being met and you have a safe place to live and enough food to eat and and so on, there's a diminishing return on stuff and specifically on money. And we just, we have to start to, I think think it's incumbent upon us as individuals to pause and reflect on what it is that actually brings us contentment and what allows happiness to occur in our lives. Because until we do that, we're just still going to be on that rat race of more, 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 more. And that's, that's, it's like antithetical to finding actual happiness in your life. I so agree. And it's not even, that is not a one-time little project, Mm -mm. right, to think about uh, or to determine (laughs) what brings you contentment. It is, it's essential that we find a way to reconnect with that regularly, reconnect with mm-hmm. what's real and true. And, you know, one of the – so, you know, I'm a, I'm a coach as well. Um, and one of the things we talk about with my clients is using your phone, using your fabulous technology that is always with you, and setting mm-hmm. alarms throughout the day to remind you what you want to keep front of mind whether that's how you want to show up, what kind of person you want to be, whether that's where your joy really lies, 
so that, again, just like you said, so we don't see it as something we're chasing that we can grab, but we see mm-hmm. it as something we're living that we can just breathe every day. You know, it's not, yep. it's, it's, it's more um, elemental, right? Absolutely. And one of the challenges I see is people say, well, I want to be happy. That's my goal. And I think when you make happiness the goal, that's, a, that's complicated for a couple of reasons. One is happiness is an emotion. And our emotions are literally, literally just the way that our brain assesses the situation that we find ourselves in, physical, emotional, etc. And so like anything else, that situation is fluid, and there are times when we will not be happy. I mean, you're not going to be happy if if you get a speeding ticket or if your kid talks back to you or you don't get the promotion that you wanted. There are lots of really legitimate reasons to not be happy because, again, your emotion is just an authentic response to whatever. And so if you set yourself up where happiness is the goal and then that doesn't happen, then we call ourselves failures, and that's a downward spiral that's really hard to get to. And one of the biggest challenges I see is for happiness to organically appear. So the question shouldn't be, shouldn't be, you know, am I permanently happy? Because that's not real and that's really ludicrous. But it should be in the moment. Like, how do I feel right now? Do a pulse check, right? So I like to say that happiness is the gauge, not the goal of success. And so if you ask yourself, on a scale of like 1 to 10, right, with 1 being this is the worst day ever created on the planet and 10 being everything is perfect in my world, on a scale of 1 to 10, (laughs) where am I right now? And statistically, in order for you to be like in a good space, you want to be around a 6 to an 8. Like those peak experiences of like, you know, a promotion or or a new relationship or a baby being born, those will happen. Those 9s and 10s will happen. And they're going to be rare. Enjoy them while they last and find joy and happiness in the little things. And there are a bajillion of those little things every single day to be grateful for, even in the midst of, you know, like a year where the whole world locks down for a global pandemic or the economy crashes or whatever. There are still, I mean, the current research I've seen says that the human brain is processing like 34 gigabytes of information every single day. That's a lot. It's a lot of stuff. And Statistically, you're going to have at least three bytes of information in there that are positive or at least hope-producing. I'm not saying live in Stepford and say the world is always happy and amazing. That's not good either. But appreciate the good when it happens and train your brain to watch for it, and you're far more likely to recognize it when it trots across your front door. I love that you said train your brain to watch for it because I love the brain research and about how the things that we think about, you know, when we think about things or speak about things, you know, with, with great vigor, I can't remember the phrase I, I usually say, but with, you know, we do it often, we repeat it with a lot of energy, mm-hmm. with a lot of emotion tied to it. That's creating um, deeper and deeper paths, neural pathways in our brain mm-hmm. all the time. Absolutely. And so if we, like, I know someone who will get, you know, butthurt about something, and we'll mm-hmm. tell the story, just passionately tell that story to multiple people to the point where the phrasing is exactly the same, you know, when I've heard it mm-hmm. like on the third time. And I'm like, and so <laughs> what that does, it's like, I like to say that your brain is like a computer, like you have the pop-up ads, right? Like if you search yeah. for red shoes just one time, one mm-hmm. time you search for some red shoes and all you ever see anymore is things pop up for red shoes. And that's what happens in your brain. 
And so the next time something similar happens that is irritating, your brain goes into overdrive right away. And, but the opposite is true. And that's, the, that's where the hope lies, in my opinion, that we train our brain, you know, to, like you said, to, to recognize those three, 34 bazillion, you know, nice things, lovely yeah. things, beautiful things, kind things. And we ruminate on that a little bit instead of ruminating on all the, the frustrating things. And then our brain will be always kind of scanning the, scanning the, their, their vision, the vision we have, scanning mm-hmm. and looking for something that's nice and lovely and kind and beautiful. And that's yeah, and what we said, and that's how we get more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right? And the, the, the science behind that is that your amygdala, like your limbic system, is on guard all the time. Its entire job is just to keep you alive as an organism so you can continue the genetic makeup in, in the future. So right. that's not going to go away. You're going to be scanning for danger and aware of all the yuck that happens in your life regardless. You can consciously choose, however, to look for the positive. And that helps mitigate some of that amygdala hijack that we're seeing. And in a world where we're constantly being bombarded with messages that things are terrible, right? How many people have sat glued yes. to their television for updates nonstop? I mean, we have a 24-7 news cycle. Our devices are pinging us all the time, warning us that somebody looked at our website or like, liked or disliked our social media posts or whatever, and our brain doesn't really, it's not that, we're not that far away from our, from our swamp-leaving, you know, ancestors. <laughs> we, we still see that as a threat, and so we have that same kind of adrenaline response. We have the same physiological response to the things that maybe aren't actually a saber-toothed tiger, but our brain reacts the same way. So we have to be really mindful to curate our environment so that it doesn't all fall into that bucket of danger, Will Robinson, and acknowledge that, yes, there are positive things. And over time, then, we can at least have balance. Because, again, you don't want to slide into the other extreme either where you've have a you know, where you've had a lobotomy and everything is perfect all the time because that's not safe either. No. So the balance but you, but you is really trust, the key. Yes, because we can trust that our lizard brain, right, our lizard mm-hmm. brain mm-hmm. is, is on got the it. It's on the job. Yep. It's handling that. So we don't have to – we, yes. we can spend our, um, our awareness looking for the good, and we won't get, you know, we won't get hijacked by a saber-toothed tiger, hopefully. <laughs> well, we are going to – we're already halfway through our conversation, which is like I just wish we had more time. But I'm really excited because we are going to take a very, very quick break um, to recognize one of our sponsors, and, um, and I'm happy that we have – sponsors that we can share with you, um, what they're all about, and I would like to go now to Michelle, who's going to talk about our sponsors. Thanks, Diane. Women Lead Radio is brought to you today by Connected Women of Influence and our partner, National University. National University is proud to be San Diego's largest private nonprofit university founded in 1971. The National University mission is to provide accessible, achievable higher education to adult learners. Today, National University educates students from across the U.S. and around the globe with over 170,000 alumni worldwide. Thank you so much for your support, National University, and to all of our sponsors and our partners. And now, Diane, back to you and your show. Thank you, Michelle. Welcome back to The Lighthearted Life. And our guest today is Sarah Rakin, a Chief Happiness Officer, and we're having the most interesting uh, conversation. And Sarah, before we go into some more things I want to talk about, 
do you want to share with our listeners how they can reach you or where they can find you? Sure. The easiest way to find me is just to hit my website, which is happinessiscourage.com. All right. Happiness is courage. Before I ask you about that and how how it relates to um, our work environment, I want to touch on um, your book that I recently got and I love so much, The Silver Threads Gratitude Journal, because we, (laughs) before the break, we were talking about how we can train our brain, right? We can train our brain to look for the good, to savor the good, um, to, mm-hmm. to live in a place where we know that there is good and it, it's not filled with all the nightmares that our feeds and our TV would tell us that it is. So the Silver Threads Gratitude Journal, I'm holding it in my hand right now. It says, <laughs> improving your life one positive moment at a time. Tell me a little bit about what made you write this book, create this book. So I wasn't always the happiest person on the planet. Uh, There was a time in my life where I had definitely internalized the message that life just sucks and then you die and that's just how it's going to be. But I recognized that I I had four kids. I still have four kids, but they were young at the time. And we were going through some rugged stuff. And I just realized I had to figure out a way to move forward. I had to be a good, responsible parent for them and show them a better way to approach their lives. And I was talking to my grandmother at, at some point, and she said, you just have to hold on, right? Some, things will change, and there's always something to be thankful for. And that's really sparked something for me. And what I found was it didn't have to be something huge. It didn't have to be a new exciting job or whatever. It could literally be that I found a heart-shaped rock on the walk to school that morning. And so I started, I started noticing these positive experiences at the same time. My life was pretty much in shambles at the time. And people just kept saying to me, you need to look for the silver lining. And I really, I grew to hate that expression so much. It made, well, it felt really marginalizing. Like you have no idea the disaster that I'm dealing with. And to just to suggest I could just find a silver lining in this dumpster fire is, is really tone deaf. But what I found was I couldn't maybe find a whole lining, but I could find just a shred, right, just a thread of positivity. And so that's where the concept of silver threads came in. And then as I was researching, so I'm a researcher myself as well, and as I was researching the science behind how we can create more positivity in our world, I came across this awareness and this, this, this research that shows us that the human brain doesn't distinguish between an experience and a memory of an experience. And this is true for bad stuff. We can, you know, we can have memories of that bad breakup that put us right back into a bad headspace. And we can also remember positive things in our world. And gratitude journaling is super powerful because of exactly that. So when we experience something for which we are grateful or which brings us joy, that's wonderful. We get the whole flood of serotonin, dopamine, all the chemicals make us feel good. And then when we write it down, we kind of relive that moment, and our brain doesn't pay attention to the fact that we're not really in the moment. It still gives us that same serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin that we got the first time around. And by collecting all of these experiences together into a book, what you're really creating is an antidote for the chaos in your world. Because when you're having one of those days where it feels like nothing is going right, you can go right back to your journal and thumb through and give yourself a quick dose of all of the happiness that you've had over the course of the last period of time. And I found this with my coaching clients. They would really struggle with a journal because they're like, I don't, I don't know what to say. Like I have this 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, some stuff happens. I don't have a framework for it. So just by giving them a very basic structure to capture just one or two little things every day, it really became that accountability buddy to help prod the reminder that life actually does have some pretty great stuff going on, even in the chaos. I love that. I love it so much. I love the, the book. I have to say, you guys, everybody who's listening, I tell you, go to wherever, <laughs> Amazon or wherever. Sorry, Jeff. I mean, I'm always sending people to Jeff, right, at Amazon. But um, <laughs> go where you buy books and find Sarah's book, Silver Stretch Gratitude Journal, and then not just don't just order it. Use it. Get out your favorite color pen and get started because this is what will reprogram your brain and reprogram your life. And it's, you know, a lot of people say, oh, gratitude journals, you know, they, they feel like it's a little hokey. Well, you know what? Some of the best things in life are hokey. Come on. You know, just, and, and remembering the good stuff is the way that we savor it. Just like, and I love what you said, Sarah, about the research <laughs> that our brain does not, this does not um, challenge between the real thing happening and the memory of it happening, it be, you know, it believes it's happening again. Mm-hmm. That is yet another reason why spend your t- your thinking time thinking on what is good and what is lovely and what is kind and wonderful, you know, because all of that exists even in the midst of everything else. And your grandma is like totally smart because <laughs> I believe that there is. Oh, aren't the grandmas of the world the smart ones? I mean, come on. And they really are they the live wisdom. through a bunch. Of, I know. They're the wisdom. And, and some of us, you know, we used to be, we used to live with our grandparents, and we'd have that wisdom just poured into us. And so those of us and who don't have that wisdom, that wise person right next to us, we need to seek them out. And, and it doesn't just, you can't just say, Grandma, tell me the smartest thing or tell, tell me the wisest lesson. It doesn't work that, like that. <laughs> it works while you're baking a pie or while you're driving them to a mm-hmm. doctor's appointment or whatever it may be. So investing time spent with wise elders is like the best use of your time in all the world, I think. And then, you know, really making a life where you take advantage of the wisdom, take advantage of a book like this, Take advantage of the opportunity to reprogram, reprogram your brain. Um, that's the real work of life, not the to-do list. The real work of life is how we show up and how we engage. Um, and we forget that because the to-do list is, is a tyrant, right? <laughs> the tyranny yeah. of the, what do they say? The tyranny of the urgent, right? Um, mm-hmm. I say we are not enslaved to that and we need to live that way. Let me ask you this. I'm super excited to talk about the work that you do in terms of correlating happiness and productivity and outcomes in the corporate world. And I'd like you to like talk to us about that. Like, how does that work? Do you, do you work with different clients? What do you, how does it work? And what is the research? Lay it on us. So let's talk about a little bit of the reason why. Uh, let's talk, and I'm going to reference American economy alone, but this is not an American-only challenge. So America is losing about a trillion with a T dollars every year to turnover costs, and that doesn't even Ooh. fully capture all of the losses from disengaged and actively hostile employees. Uh, the most recent Gallup data that just came out said that worldwide only about 22% of people are engaged in the workplace. 
America's a little better off. We have about 35, 36%, but we shouldn't let ourselves feel too good about that because American companies are also spending billions of dollars every year on workplace improvement initiatives, and that number hasn't budged in decades. So we're not, we're not oh. fixing the problem, right? We're throwing pizza parties. We're giving people new job titles, and it's just not working. And that's because we're shooting for the wrong targets again, right? You can't do an arms race of salaries because, again, money doesn't provide job satisfaction. What we know right. actually creates what, – what really creates job satisfaction, there are two pieces to this. And this research goes back to the 90s, and it's just more and more is piling on all the time. Two things. One is people have to know specifically how the work that they're doing contributes to the greater mission of the organization and how it affects the communities around them. So it can't just be that we're making more money and we're also feeding families or whatever. Like they have to understand that their work has meaning and specifically how. Mm -hmm. And far more importantly, the number one indicator of success in the workplace and honestly in life, data is the same on both sides, is the quality of the relationships with the people around us. Full stop. And... That doesn't necessarily mean you have to sit in a cubicle farm with somebody, but we do know that historically we've been seeing people become more and more isolated over the last several decades, and of course the last 18-plus months haven't helped that any. If anything, they've shown a bright light on just how crucial those connections are for well-being. And when people aren't feeling connected, well, they're less likely to work at all, if you really honestly, but they're certainly not going to be their peak productivity, and you're not going to get people who are being created innovators if they are so stressed out that they're just in survival mode. I often say this is like an armadillo situation. People just roll up in a ball and wait for the world to stop kicking them, and that's not where your great breakthroughs happen. So how do you make that – how do you fix that, right? Well, you talk to your people and find out what they actually need. So the work that I do – Actually, for the last two years, it's almost exclusively focused on helping people get to the root cause of the stress factors on their teams and how to untangle those and how to reconnect people within those relationships. It doesn't have to be with your working team. It just has to be a a workplace-based relationship. So it could be with a vendor. It could be with a client. It could be relationships with the barista down the street. But when you feel that you're connected to something greater than yourself, your psychological safety goes up. You're going to be way more excited to get involved, get your hands dirty. And, I mean, the list of benefits is massive. I encourage people to check out the Gallup report on employee engagement. The numbers are staggering, just staggering. And we can do better. So why wouldn't we? Even if you only care about profit margins, your people will be more productive if they feel better at work. So it's a win-win for everybody. I absolutely agree. And so when you go in to work with a company, what, what, what does that look like? And literally we have like three minutes left, so that, that's a quick <laughs> snapshot. What does that look like when you go and work with a company? Usually I'm working with functional teams, so not so much. I'm not like a leadership coach or an executive coach. I work with intact working teams, people who have um, reasons to have relationships who maybe for some reason have friction in, in that space. There's inflammation in their organization, creating inefficiencies in their processes. And we really have some of those heart-to-heart conversations around, like, what's causing your stress? Here are some tactical ways to deal with the immediate stress because there are some pretty easy brain hacks like the three deep breaths exercise or, or some things yes. like that you can use in the moment, right? 
And then there are some more long-term, better ways of working, so in putting in some cultural changes. And those take time. Again, this isn't a light switch that will just one workshop and it's better. One workshop will give you the framework, but then you as an organization have to commit to making the change. But it's just like a workout plan for for yourself. If you only go to the gym once, you're not going to be a marathon winner. If you really want your teams to be stronger, then you have to commit to it. And it's going to be messy, but it's really for a really good reason. And the benefits will outweigh the frustration along the way. You know, I recently read a book um, called uh, Misfire, kind of like, you know, when your car misfires, mm-hmm. um, written by a gentleman um, named Mitch Schneider. And actually, he's going to be my guest in October. But he oh, talked about, yeah, and he talked about how people come to work for a company already with a set of desires and needs and wants and you know, yes, they want to have a job. Yes, they want to make a difference. You know, they want to contribute to the team. But they also have a whole set of other wants. And if we could just even understand that, not even, not even ask them and try to figure out what their wants are, but just even understand that they are there for more than just what you want them to do, that would go a long way for leaders to kind of get that, you know, we're not like horses that were, you know, that were, meant to run as fast as possible, you know? We're human. And that's the that's the strength of a company is it's human. So Yeah. Um, and I often say you can I, you can beat the horse to make it run faster until it falls over dead. And then what do you have? Yes. So people need to be really yes. mindful about that. Absolutely. And and we as individuals too, the only one who is responsible for taking care of us is us ourselves. Yep. Most people are not going to reach out and be like, do you need a little bit of a break or do you need whatever? <laughs> They're usually not going to do that. So we have to have, we have, to have um, confidence to do it for ourselves, and that's hugely important. And now it is time for us to wrap up our show because it went so fast, um, and, and that is our show for the day. I would like to say thank you to Sarah for being our leading lady today. Um, a special thanks to all of our listeners in the U.S. and in other countries around the world because we're international. I mean, we have more than a million um, listeners. So it's pretty amazing. Um, we'll be back again for another Women Lead Radio Show Mondays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time. And it's been my sincere pleasure to be your host today on The Light-Hearted Life. And um, you guys, be sure to look for Sarah's book. Go to Happiness is Courage because you will be, um, you will get so much goodness out of it and excitement about how to live in a happy way, not as an end result, but is as a way that you show up to do life. And for those companies, people representing companies that are out there listening, you need to talk to Sarah. You need to bring her in. She would be great for your company. I'm just telling you that. And so um, with that, I am very excited to wrap up, and um, I wish you all joy, always. Bring the joy, show up strong, live urgently, because today is the only day that's promised, you guys. Live urgently. Don't put the important stuff on some bottom of some to-do list. Find time, dance in the rain, you know, find time in the middle of the day to call someone that is important to you. Don't put it off. And... Have a lighthearted week, a lighthearted day, and a lighthearted life. 
And that is the end of our show. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence, the premier private membership organization where life-focused, business-to-business, executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>